Last night, you probably heard uh, on the news with me about the San Jose police officer that attended the funeral of one of his uh, partners and then on the way home was killed himself. And this struck me of the um, relevance of what we're talking about today, of the frailty of life, of the reality of suffering. Because you see, all of us at some time are going to have to lock horns with the issue of a loving God that allows his children to suffer. Earthquakes, nuclear accidents, hurricanes, disease, broken relationships, violence, injustice, accidental death. These are facts of life. If we probe deeper, what always fascinates me is that throughout the whole Bible, suffering is part of the biography of every one of God's people. Job, he was the best example. Here he was a righteous man, and God allowed him to be buffeted by satanic tragedy. And it's absolutely a fact of life. Sooner or later, every one of us are going to be sitting where Job sat on the ashes of human loss, inexplicable pain, and we're going to cry out, God, where are you? And if you're loving, why did this have to happen to me? You see, when we've been knocked helpless by the unexpected, or felt the numbness of a senseless loss, we have to ask, what do we do? What do you do? How do we cope? Well, we come back to a very familiar verse. Paul the Apostle gave it to us. He found spiritual resources to persevere when thorns hit, when tough times occur. And I I believe he offers us something today. If we look at how he tapped into the very resources of God, first and foremost, when we suffer, We learn Jesus doesn't give us an explanation. He gives us his presence, which is so much better. Jesus never said, I have explained the world. He simply said over and over again, I have overcome the world. Paul the Apostle had what he called a a thorn in the flesh. Interesting uh, metaphor he uses. In fact, he called it a messenger of Satan. It was something really bad. And he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the hardest thing for a Silicon Valley mentality to grasp, that weakness is strength. In fact, we avoid weakness at all costs. I'm fascinated Jesus didn't give Paul an explanation as to why he had the thorn He simply responded, my grace, my power are sufficient. I wonder if that would be enough of an answer for you when you cry out in your pain. Obviously, this isn't the answer Paul expected. It isn't one he desired. And certainly he'd say, God, if you love me, how can you give me an answer like that? But you know, his faith took a leap here and it was so strong that he did something only a Christian can do. It's the mystery of our faith. He embraced Christ's answer. He embraced the fact that weakness is strength, and some of us spend a lifetime discovering how true that really is. Weakness is strength, you see, when we have the presence of Jesus. It's strength when, as only a Christian knows, we can hold the hand of Jesus when we're walking through the storm, when we're feeling the pain of the thorn. That makes all the difference. I was so impressed by the faith of the Baptist pastor in Texas following the shooting in his congregation. If you heard the interview, Larry King had him on his program and he asked, 
How does your faith sustain you in a time like this? And I don't know where Larry King is in his faith, but the Baptist pastor said, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt where our loved ones are and with whom they are, and that's enough. You see, rather than seeking to explain that tragedy of people being shot in a prayer meeting, he just simply said, we know those victims are in the presence of Jesus, and, and, and that's enough for us. Would that be enough for you? To, to a secular world, that would be nonsense. But for us who know Jesus, is it enough for you? You see, when in crisis, our feelings make us think we need an explanation. We've got to find who's responsible. And actually, what we need are resources to get through the crisis. And that's what the Baptist pastor was trying to tell us. You know, two weeks ago, Renee Bondi was up here on our chancel. For those of you who were here, she's been here several times. We love her. And this time, Doug asked her, you know, how, how do you cope with the fact that months before you were to be married, you had this freak accident, you're a quad, quadriplegic. How do you cope as a mother and wife and without any hesitation, if you remember, her answer was simply, Jesus Christ. We know what she meant. Not an explanation. Pain's still there. But his presence was somehow enough for her. Again, that answer makes total sense to those of us who know Jesus, but it's nonsense if you don't know him yet. When Jesus sought to comfort his disciples the night before his death, remember how he comforted them? He promised he would see them again and that then their sorrow would be turned into joy. When we speak of Jesus, we say he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and he carries our sorrows. And, and we remember how he said, I'm with you always. I'll never forsake you even unto the end of the world. Uh, last weekend, we were blessed with a, a wonderful speaker, Brendan Manning, and I'm gonna have him here sometime to preach to us. And when I first met him at Mount Hermon, he was walking across the patio and his pants were too long. He looked like a real aw shucks guy. And I thought, gee, are you our speaker? And, uh, um, you know, I, I wasn't very impressive, which I told him later. Uh, but he already knew that because he wasn't trying to impress us with his eloquence, eloquence or his appearance. Uh, you know what impressed us about him? It was his humility. He told us of his years in the depths of alcoholism where he was a broken down drunk on the streets of Fort Lauderdale for two and a half years after he was a priest. And he said, during those dark times, one friend would fly down once a month and sit on the curb with him and simply assure him, Brennan, it's, it's gonna be okay. You're, you're, you're gonna get out of this and God still loves you. And, 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 and as he described it, he said that friend was Jesus in fleshing himself to me, enabling me to grasp the grace to crawl out of that pit and find the road to recovery. Not an explanation, but a presence. And that's a first resource Jesus gives a Christian to cope with our pain. And that's so, why it's so vital we know Jesus and why we're so thrilled 14 are gonna be baptized today. They met him, they know him, he's alive. And if you don't know that yet, folks, he is alive. He's really real. And more than anything else in this world, we want you to know him as a friend because that will make all the difference in understanding Christianity and all the things we say about what it does for us. A second resource for coping with suffering 
If we can't change the situation through faith, we can change our attitude. I, I marvel at what Paul said here. He said, after Jesus had said, no, I won't take your throne, a thorn away, he said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Now here's a guy with a huge thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is, didn't tell us, so all of us might identify with him. It might be what you have. And when Jesus answered no to his begging for healing, for relief, Paul did something only one who knows this person, Jesus, who trusts him totally, because rather than complain and get bitter and poison his soul, he simply changed his attitude from begging for relief to boasting about what his Lord was going to do with his weakness. All right, Lord, you made me, you love me, I don't understand it, but I'm going to boast about what you're going to do with this thorn that's killing me. Only a Christian can say that. Going back to the conference speaker, Brennan Manning was not impressive with his eloquence. It was eloquence, it was his humility. The fact that even as a priest, after he had been ordained, he got broken. He was in the gutter. He had nothing to boast about except what Jesus can do with brokenness and weakness. And that made him great. And I'll never forget him. It disarms the hardest skeptic. And you know what's really impressive that I'll never forget that he said? He said, God loved me just as much when I sat in the gutter as he does right now when I'm preaching to you. This guy understands grace. You see, that's how faith can change our attitude toward thorns that we think are robbing us of life when actually they might be a stimulus of the Holy Spirit to give us a life we never would have had without them. Renee Bondi told me, she said, I would have been useless to Jesus Christ unless I'm in this wheelchair. How do you find the power to say that unless you know there's a power greater in Jesus than even having a perfect body? Chuck Swindoll writes, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to us, 90% of how I react to it, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Well, I'd probably press it one step further. I'd say we're in charge of our attitudes if we have the power of Jesus Christ to control them. Otherwise, sometimes attitudes can control us. Awful things happen to Christians. And many of those awful things won't be changed in this life, but one dimension of suffering that can always be changed by trusting Jesus is your attitude and mine. You see, keep in mind our attitude matters to God. People watch us and they, they watch when Christians are going through tough times and they're always asking, does knowing Jesus really make any difference in their lives? Spend five minutes with Renee Bondi or Brendan Manning and you know it does. You know he does. 48 Hours featured a, a family that had been struck by a hit-and-run truck driver 17 years before. In that accident, their baby boy was burned over 88% of his body and somehow survived. Recently, the driver had been found and brought to trial by a fluke uh, traffic stop. And so after years of suffering, this family came to the courtroom and confronted this truck driver who had hit-and-run for the first time. The boy at 17 is grossly disfigured. 
as only a burn victim can be. But you look into his eyes and you see a beauty behind the scars. And he was at the, the uh, commentator asked uh, if he held any resentment against the driver. And he said, no, I've forgiven him. I just want him to know the incredible suffering he caused when he left without looking back. You see, this guy's a Christian. And rather than burn for 17 years with bitterness and add to his burn on the outside, this guy had allowed the grace of Jesus to soften his heart. And he was very much fully alive. And you could tell he was a totally adjusted person with a body I can't imagine because he trusted Jesus enough to change his attitude from resentment to forgiveness. Trusting Jesus can transform our attitude when we confront suffering, if you want him to. A third truth, suffering can be a stepping stone to ministry. And I think this is the best part. Once we trust Jesus enough to change our attitude, we can begin to expect that every painful event in our lives will be put to use for Jesus somewhere in his kingdom. Listen again to Paul's faith. In the midst of another trauma, this time he was sitting in a Roman jail, and this is what he could say. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Can you have a tragedy? And come up the next day and say, you know, what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. That somehow God is molding me even closer to whatever he wants to me to be, to be used in his kingdom. What a difference to crying out, why God did this happen to me? And fill with bitterness and pour self-pity all over the place. And we've seen both those extremes in people. You've seen them, I've seen them. You see, Paul knew something. He said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Death can't, life can't, the angels won't, and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fear for today, our worries about tomorrow, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated in our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. We know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Wow. If we have a promise like that, why do we worry or become bitter about anything? An elder who's been in the 12-step program reminded us that most of the leaders in 12-step recovery have come from the ranks of the wounded. And most of the people effective for Jesus Christ, like Brennan Manning, like Renee Bondi, have been through the school of brokenness because unbroken people really aren't very useful to Jesus because he himself is the wounded healer. You see, today I want us to know that suffering can either enlarge our view of God, expand our faith, and expand our usefulness as an alternative to letting it fill us with self-pity, poisoning our hearts with bitterness. Those are, that's the crossroads that Jesus brings to us when we talk about suffering. You know, I can't ever preach on this verse because it's my life verse without repeating something most of you know, but maybe some of you don't, that I, in my life, I can tell you that every bit of tragedy and pain that I've been through has never been wasted. Everything has been put to use. And there's one particular thorn I lived with for 25 years, and that was panic attacks. And I told you one of the reasons I'm, I'm such a freak about prayer is that I could never know for sure I would get through a sermon without having to run out the door. And if, if you don't know about panic attacks, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you do, you can identify with me. 
And I was driven on my knees week after week. God get me through. And I, he got me through. I never had to run once. And I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. But I didn't cry out to God for relief three times. I cried out for a thousand times. God, if you want in me in ministry, get this thorn away. Why in the world, if I have to be in front of people, would you give me that affliction? He never really told me why. One day after 25 years, he took it away. But I do know this. I wouldn't trade that experience because today I'm a guy totally dependent on Jesus because I've learned this, that weakness is strength. And without that, I probably would have been so proud I would have been useless. And you know, you could multiply that all through this church family with your thorn and you've got a choice. Either you look back and you say, wow, God, you really used that for something I understand now, will understand later, or you can just kind of just live depressed, feeling you're a victim, you've been ripped off by God and you can poison your heart. And we have a choice. Use it for ministry. Let it change your attitude. Crawl out of the pit of self-pity. I've had to do that. I challenge you on the basis of the power of Jesus Christ to do it. A great poem I love. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. And I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy and I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men and I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for things that I might enjoy life and I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for but everything I hoped for and I am among all men most richly blessed. I think that's what Paul meant in this text. But what about you this morning? I realize God brought special people here today. We can never preach on this subject unless he had someone in mind, maybe you. What's your thorn? What's your attitude to its presence in your life? I want to remind you today, God loves you. And that thorn is in no way a denial of his love and you need to know that all your doubting and your anger and your crying out to God and your despair that he even hears or cares, that all those feelings are okay. You can't drive God away from you any more than Brendan Manning could drive God away from him when he sat in the gutter. His arms are open. He just wants to embrace you. And you know, rather than rebuke you for all your negative feelings, you know what God wants to do today? He wants to cry with you because that's the kind of father he is. You belong to him. You're his child. I thought it was appropriate for us this morning then to have a moment in worship when we bring our thorns to God in prayer and we just simply lay them at his feet. Maybe you're tired. You, you, you wonder if you can go on one more day bearing this thing. Tell him about your illness, your wayward child, your loneliness, your painful marriage, your endless struggle with finances. You're feeling your life is a grave disappointment to God and to those you love. Your constant regression into sin, probably our list is as different as our fingerprints. Remember the promise of God through Joel the prophet, in spite of what you've been through and in spite of what you're going through. I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He's done that for me. He'll do it for you in time or eternity. And then these wonderful words from Habakkuk, the funny sounding prophet, though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Bring your thorn to God this morning and let's find joy in the midst of our pain. Trade bitterness for expectancy. Let's let God hold us in the palm of his hand and let him restore to us our joy and our strength. Because it's so profoundly true that when we're weak, we're strong. And I hope that God's going to help you understand that in a new dimension this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? And let's take a moment and bring our thorns to the Lord. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that you're a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. That you're a God of the impossible. That you're a God who never, never forsakes us. And thank you that although we don't know why, we know you. And I trust every person here today will discover you're enough. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.